A content warning. This series deals with dark themes including child and domestic abuse, sexual assault, and content that is inappropriate for children. Please be advised. And so if you've got assets, that's great. You lay them down at the apostles' feet. So you're looking at a sort of, yeah, 10 to $15 million property empire at the, at the very least. Well, I had no idea they owned all that. They must be absolutely bloody loaded. <laughs> Hi all, it's Tim Elliott here and welcome back to Inside the Tribe. We last left you at episode 9 with speculation about who would take over the cult since the death of the leader, Gene Spriggs. Since then, we've had an update on some movements in Australia, including whispers about people leaving and properties going up for sale. In late February 2023, we had a flurry of listeners sending us pictures of a real estate billboard outside Peppercorn Creek Farm. Watch this space, it read, with the number and details of the listing agent. A couple of weeks later, the place was put up for sale. With an advertisement appealing to large families and even those wanting to create a health retreat. Your dream has already begun. This stunning property spans across 20.5 acres and is an exceptional opportunity for the discerning buyer. As you arrive, you'll be captivated by the grandeur of the owner-built, partially constructed home. The high-quality build features a steel frame and hebel blocks, finished with limestone sourced from Mount Gambier, South Australia, ensuring longevity and durability. The interior boasts extra high ceilings, a spiral staircase and spacious six-bedroom, four-bathroom floor plan. When my producer and I came out to the farm last year, the group didn't want to talk to us, but we got an impromptu tour inside this masterpiece in the making, which was decked out for the daily gatherings and had religious iconography and illustrations on the walls. Former members recall their superannuation being used to fund this refurbishment, which has dragged on for several years. The ad goes on. Not only does this unique property offer the perfect oasis for your family, the property lends itself to other business uses such as a nature-slash-spiritual retreat, cafe location, etc. So don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to complete your dream home and move to this idyllic location. The sale of the farm is big news. The property has been with the group since a man called Peter Baker, or Nathaniel, gave the land to them in the mid-1990s, when he joined. Back then, the farm was virtually a tip. It was so filled with junk that neighbours presumed that it was a scrapyard. Over the years, it effectively became the group's Australian headquarters, as one of the founders, Hans Arnicke, explained in an interview in 2019. So we inherited it when Nathaniel joined the community. So... Yeah, but they've improved it. It's a beautiful place. I mean, what they've done, I had to go wander around. It's really, really nice. And, uh, yeah, yeah, they're prospering in a way. They're increasing financially. 
So they're not as poor as when I was there. <laughs> but times have apparently changed. According to our sources, the tribes in Australia are hemorrhaging members and money. The loss of members has made it hard for the community to keep running the bakery, something which the group has even alluded to on their website. We are not many to meet so many needs, but this is teaching us to be flexible and to love one another in the midst of varying pressures and, most of all, to trust in our God who cares for us. So this is about to get out of a heavy debt situation. Basically, interest rates are getting ridiculous and we're wanting to consolidate right now and hedge our bets. This is Lucy Macken, a long-time colleague of mine at the Sydney Morning Herald. Lucy's a gun property reporter and actually managed to get someone from the tribes on the phone to ask them about the sales. He wanted to remain anonymous first and foremost, but he said, we're selling for our own reasons. I don't know what that was quite in reference to, but we want to move forward for our own reasons, consolidate, you might say. And he said, look, there's no plans to leave Katoomba at this stage, not at all. That's a really strong community. Uh, and going to be here, but but everything is up in the air. They still own a lot of land. So then you've got the Katoomba properties, the Yellow Deli, uh, which was purchased for $1.5 million in 2004, so that's been there almost 20 years. Uh, that's actually set across two lots on a corner in Katoomba. Uh, and then they've got Balmoral House, which is that landmark Victorian mansion, which is run as a guest house, but apparently was purchased uh, by one of the leaders for his daughter back in the day. They paid $1.1 million for that in 2010. And then the, the, the most controversial property, of course, is the bigger property. And that's the one, that's a 304-hectare farmland property, you know, in the southern tablelands. So you're looking at a sort of, yeah, 10 to $15 million property empire at the, at the very least. But the farm isn't the only place up for sale. One of the group's main businesses, the Common Ground Bakery, is also up for grabs. The site includes the land, the bakery and the Razorback Inn, with a price guide of $6.2 million. So what do you do when you're selling up and moving on, when you've collected more than 30 years of stuff? You hold a garage sale, a really big one. And so, one unseasonably hot day in mid-March, I drove an hour southwest of Sydney to the Common Ground Bakery. So we're driving along um, through Picton towards the cafe, uh, bakery. Uh, it's actually a really pretty drive, and it's through some low winding hills. Very green, quite warm. Uh, oh, big chunk of road, roadkill, kangaroo, and we're just about to pull up. Got a sign everywhere saying garage sale. So, see what we can see. Right, a lot of people here. Oh my god. The sale was in the woodshed, a big, beautiful barn teeming with people. China. Vases, farmware, lanterns, candles, candlestick holders, cabinets, guitars, violins, $50 violin, wow, a massive amount of stuff, I cannot believe it, engines, generators, 
bottles, glass jars, baby bassinets, cabinets, farmware, um, beds, juices, uh, ovens, some sort of weird oven. There were also dozens of racks of clothing, crockery, furniture, big ticket items like the commercial oven from the bakery. It's fascinating to see the sheer volume of stuff for sale and the type of items, which really give clues about how the group have been living. There are even some computers up for grabs, albeit very old ones. There must have been hundreds of people here wandering around, carting away boxes of stuff and eating snacks made by the group. I wondered how many people in the barn here knew exactly who was hosting this garage sale. We've been going there and having lunch and breakfast and dinner for, they've been there, what, 20 years? I don't even know, 15 years? Yeah. Before you knew anything. And they are, they do seem nice. They just seem like a bunch of hippies. Well, I had no idea that they actually owned all this, so we weren't sure whether the garage sale was even a part of them. It was just going to be here. Like right. at some garage sale thing that was happening. I wasn't sure. I knew that they had, they rented that part out there, but I didn't know they owned the whole thing. But I mean, 15 years ago, weddings out the back in there, and we used to do line dancing and so mm. forth, but I had no idea they owned all that. They must be absolutely bloody loaded. None of us really knew what was going on at all. Like, it wasn't on the news or no one was really... You don't there see was a bit anyone of, like, here from yeah, anyone. bit of rumours going around here and there, but you never really knew what was true and what wasn't true. Where I can talk to my girlfriends and they'll say the exact same thing to me. Oh, yeah, I heard there's something going on down there, but we don't really know. Yeah, exactly. At one stage, I bumped into some listeners. Aside from what came out really in the podcast... They're harmless for people who aren't in them. Yeah. And it's the, it's just the idea that children don't have that choice to be in them. But they seem very lovely. They're obviously a lot older than they used to be. A lot. Older. A lot of people have left. Normal. They're just like they're wearing plaid and they've got long hair, but aside from that, they're normal people. Every time we come here, I just notice they're nice running people and yeah. I don't know what goes behind. That's for the government and, and laws to work out. Other people I talked to were more wary. So you've got something, just tell me about that. He was approached at his workplace um, and asked if he would like to come and join the group. He's under 18 um, and he was actually quite upset about it. Yeah. What did he say? He just um, felt really uncomfortable about it and it, he was a bit scared. And they gave him a business card. Um, business card? card. Yeah, he was what given well, I can't even remember what it had on it now. He was worried about walking down the street because there's two ladies that sit in the main street of Picton all the time with their pamphlets. Actually just recognised one of the guys who we talked to before who sent us an abusive email after we asked him some questions. After a while, things got a little weird. At one point, I introduced myself to a woman behind the food counter Without responding to me, she called out to another member a little way away and said, Tim Elliott's here. There was even a plainclothes police officer. I just cannot understand why there would be a plainclothes policewoman at a garage sale. Very interesting. So she was just walking around in a T-shirt. She had a little lanyard around her neck that she was in um, civilian clothes. I wonder why she's at a garage sale. Very unusual. Must be a very controversial garage, though. I get talking to a member of the group, a young guy with a middle part and a low ponytail, dressed in a long-sleeved blue plaid shirt, despite the fact that it's about 35 degrees. I ask him why the police are there, and he tells me the 12 tribes like nothing more than, as he puts it, 
law and order and peace, and that the police were there to keep it that way. It made me wonder who they were expecting to show up. Former members, maybe, or some pissed-off parents wanting to see their kids. It seems the group is more than a little concerned with my presence, too. When I ask this guy for an interview, he declines, then politely but firmly tells me to get off the property. So I leave and walk about 30 metres down the road when this young guy reappears. He's pretty determined that I don't sneak back into their property. He's also swigging from a big one-litre plastic bottle of cloudy green liquid and had a kind of slightly unhinged grin on his face. He just can't get enough of this stuff, this strange green liquid. So I'm curious. Explain now that you know I'm a journalist, explain what is in the juice and how nice it is. Delicious. What's in it though? Some delicious organic juice. Organic. What's in it though? Juice. (laughs) Okay. I drove away, but it seems I had company. That was interesting. I just um, did a Yui to go back and have another look at the garage sale. And when I did another Yui and came back toward the farm, I realised they'd been following me from the garage sale. So when I left the garage sale, they were would have been a couple of hundred metres behind me. And I didn't even know. Either this was an uncanny coincidence, or people from the tribes had followed me. When I pulled over to do a U-turn, they drove by and stopped a short distance ahead staring daggers at me through the car windows. Then they drove on, turning into the driveway of Peppercorn Creek Farm. That was about when I decided to call it a day. Meanwhile, you might remember Strike Force Nanagai, an investigation by New South Wales Police into the alleged burial of unregistered stillborn babies on the Twelve Tribes' properties. With picks, shovels and machinery, long, thick grass is cleared as police dig for clues. They're searching for the bodies of babies at Razorback on Picton's outskirts and on a remote property... According to news accounts at the time, at least one set of human remains were discovered at the Twelve Tribes property in Bigger, near Crookwell, in the New South Wales southern tablelands. Peppercorn Creek Farm was also searched, but no bodies have been found there. We asked the police whether the 12 tribes can sell a property that was searched as part of a criminal case that has yet to be closed. We got this response. Following protracted wide-ranging inquiries and after consultation with the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions, a decision has been made to refer the investigation to the state coroner. Detectives are now in the process of preparing that briefing. In the circumstances of this case. April Francis is a barrister at Forbes Chambers in Sydney. She offered us some general background on what we can expect to happen now. Having been referred to the coroner, the procedure is ordinarily that the police will prepare a body of evidence, likely including an opinion from a pathologist as to cause of death. And to that end, the coroner has extensive powers to investigate deaths prior to an inquest and the coroner has certain coercive powers and in a case such as the present may issue an order uh, that there be an investigation conducted in a certain place, including where the body was found. 
As to the threshold for a coroner to call an inquest, an inquest is mandatory in circumstances of suspected homicides and where the evidence does not sufficiently disclose the identity of the person who has died, the date, place, cause or manner of their death. The state coroner has the power to call an inquest um, of his or her own volition and, of course, where there exists a public interest in relation to wider questions of health and safety. When considering the manner and cause of death, the coroner will be considering criminality surrounding as much, including anything unorthodox attaching to the reporting of the matter. The coroner can also refer the matter to the Director of Public Prosecutions at any time. They would do that if there is evidence to suggest criminal wrongdoing by a person or multiple people. Something that would complicate any criminal charges is the convoluted chain of command in the 12 tribes, and who, if anyone, could be held accountable. Mark and Rose have already been given immunity from prosecution after coming forward and helping police with their investigation. This leaves Han, who helped Mark bury his baby in that unmarked grave in Bigger. So Han, he drove me. He's one of the leaders. He um, drove me out and then we buried the baby, you know. But Han is now dead. He was murdered in 2020, eight months after speaking out against the tribes on Australian TV. His killer went on trial in 2022. A teen charged with the murder of a former controversial sect leader in northern New South Wales heard hallucinatory voices in his head prior to the alleged murder, a psychiatrist in the trial said. This is how the Northern Star newspaper covered it at the time. The Crown will allege Mr Zarnecki's 64-year-old charred remains were found inside his kitchen on August 16, with an autopsy revealing several alleged penetrating wounds and two chop-type wounds. Crown prosecutor Brendan Campbell said on Monday it wasn't disputed the teenager had caused Mr Zarnecki's death or burnt down the house and adjacent water pump. However, the trial's key dispute would centre on whether the accused suffered from schizophrenic delusions, that Mr Zarnecki sexually abused him, and that the mental health impairment prevented him from knowing the deadly act was morally wrong. The defence will submit that the teen's use of cannabis had contributed to the first onset of a psychotic episode. For legal reasons, we can't report on the outcome of that trial. Of course, Han wasn't the only elder around at that time. Rose recalled William Nunnally, or Noon as he is known, strongly discouraging her from going to the hospital when her unborn baby stopped kicking. But Noon recently moved back to the US. In any case, attributing responsibility to any one person in the 12 tribes is highly fraught. Members recall trying to explain this to the police. They wanted to know who was in charge. This is Sierra who lived in the Blue Mountains and Picton communities in the 2000s. And that's really hard. I'm really trying to, because if you've not been there, you don't, it's not a concept. It's drilled into you that that's not even a concept there. You just, you know, wash the dishes, sweep the floor and do what you're told to do. Um, and that's where, that's where it was for me. So um, 
you just think the best of the of your elders. You think the best of the government in the community. You would never assume that um, things weren't being done properly. Sean Penny is one of those former members. He lived with Mark and Rose in Picton in the early 2000s and was a close friend of Han, whom he had spent time with in New Zealand before coming to Australia. Once you start getting involved with the medical system, they get involved with you. And uh, if things go wrong, then, um, you know, there's an investigation. And, uh, and the last thing they wanted was to be investigated and records of, you know, misconduct or um, medical mishaps. So um, we were told to stay clear of the medical system, at, you know, really at all costs. At the time, the community was using a midwife, but she lived an hour and a half's drive away in Sydney. I was one of the only few that actually went to see her. Yeah, there was another one who had twins and stuff like that. Yeah, but I don't think any of the women would have ever even known what she'd look like or anything. I can I can picture the house and everything. They thought I had gestational diabetes. I don't know why, but they did. Um, and I was yeah, I was I think because you know obviously they had lost two uh, before me, and then also a friend of mine. Um, but right before I had my son, she had a really traumatic birth, and they would look like her. Hers might be lost as well, but she was okay. Speaking about the community is one thing, but I met this lady. I've, I'm one of the on, only few that went to her, her practice. And I was kind of like, oh man, she's going to get in trouble. But then I was like, well, she's facilitating all these people. Obviously, she's doing it from the thing of like being able to have children at home. But then also, that's what, that can go wrong, and it did go wrong many times. And she facilitated them, you know. So, and, and I was conflicted. I was more worried about her. I, I really thought she was going to go to jail for a long time. We reached out to the midwife. She declined to speak with us or make a statement about the group or her role working with members. When we looked her up on the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, she's got no conditions on her registration and by her own account is still booked and busy three years into the police investigation. When former members found out about the sale of the farm and the bakery, they got in touch with us and they were fuming. They were the ones, after all, who had turned the farm from a junkyard into a beautiful retreat and built the bakery into a thriving business. The property sales will probably net the tribes upward of $6.2 million, and former members want a piece of that. Part of the community's tenants is that when you join the community, you come in with all your debts and all your assets. And so um, if you've got assets, that's great. You lay them down at the apostles' feet. Um, and if you've got debts, well, that's not a problem. You know, Yeshua is going to take care of that. And uh, so that's what I was told, and I believed it. Um, so I had, a, I had a student loan that it was at that time, you know, $5,000. And um, But that blossomed over the 16 years that I was in the community, um, and it was never touched. Uh, it was never paid off. When I left the community, that was like $30,000. And, um, and and was steadily growing because I couldn't have, you know, I just didn't have any money to, to pay it. And so I'm still paying. 
I think a lot of us that have left are probably just happy to have got out alive, you know, and be fairly stable, you know, in our lives. And um, a lot of us don't have the resources after leaving the community, you know, especially leave in your later years. You know, it's difficult um, just getting by and you just don't have the money for, you know, a legal battle. Um, and a lot of us, well, I'll speak for myself. I, I just, uh, I mean, there is anger there, but uh, I don't know what it is. It's something to do with the devotion that happened in the community. Like the devotion, it's, uh, you know, it comes from belief. And once that's set up, it's, it's a funny thing. It's like there's a psychological barrier to, um, you know, you've, it's like a, a past relationship you've had and you just, you just want to walk away and just, just move on, you know. But I think there is a responsibility there for members who have left and now have, you know, seen through the facade um, and the danger that, um, you know, we have a responsibility to do something for um, people who might fall into that same trap. Through all of this, there was one pressing question that I couldn't get out of my head. What was in that mysterious green liquid that the guy was drinking at the garage sale? It just so happened that I'd been filming him with my phone. When I got home, I reviewed the video and zoomed in on the label on the bottle. I then took a screen grab. The label read, Peppercorn Creek Farm Energising Green Drink, but that didn't tell me much. So I went to the 12 Tribes website and searched for Energising Green Drink. Underneath, where the ingredients should have been listed, was a passage in Latin. So I popped the passage into Google Translate, and this is what I got. Nor is there anyone who loves pain because it is pain, and wants to gain the consequences, but because the rains do not fall, he loves it further. Such times never come. I love you, so, much. So I eventually did find the ingredients. Kale, silver beet, orange and grapefruit, apples, linseeds, raw honey, and the group's famous mate tea. So that is one mystery solved. (laughs) You've been listening to Inside the Tribe. I'm Tim Elliott. If you'd like to get in touch, please email us on insidethetribepod at gmail.com. My co-writer and producer is Camille Bianchi. Editing by Mark Wright of Term 6. This is a DM podcast production. We've also used some third-party TV and print material through the series, with details on those in the show notes. This is an evolving story, and we'll be back soon. If you or anyone you know is affected by any of the subject matter raised in this episode, you can contact Lifeline for crisis support on 131114 if you're in Australia or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline on 10273-TALK if you're in the US. Contact information for other services, including support to leave a high-control group, can be found in the show notes.